Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Flashes, huh? What's your favorite scary movie? Um, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> Welcome back to Horror Queers. We're talking It's Like a Penis, only smaller. We're talking Come to Save Little Miss Moffat, have we? <laughs> and we're talking Ooh, Witchy. And I'm Joe. And I'm Trace. And we're talking Harry Potter Can Kiss My Ass. Oh, Jesus, that line just (laughs) lands like a wet thud. Uh, Oh, that line was old in 2006 when this Mm -hmm. movie came out. I... Okay, everyone, we are discussing <laughs> Rennie Harlan's good fucking God, um, The Covenant, and... Yeah, baby! <laughs> I think, yeah, so y'all, this, <laughs> this is one of the first things we ever discussed in our article series before the mm-hmm. podcast existed, and I think we've gotten several requests to cover this over the years because there's one scene where you can see all the hot guys' asses, and I'm just gonna... Mm-hmm. I have to chastise everyone. That is not oh. enough to make me like a movie. <laughs> I can go watch porn. This is true. Yeah, I remember when we covered this film, we didn't actually think there was enough substance there. So we ended up covering it with the David Dakota film, The Brotherhood, which has a very similar kind of premise, even down to competing boy vampires who have a pool kind of makeout scene. Mm-hmm. But I remember in that article, you said... I think I actually prefer the Dakota film over this. Oh, yeah. I mean, look, neither one of these films is good, but the Dakota film knows what it is. Mm -hmm. The Covenant just takes itself so seriously, and it's, it's not funny it's not scary it's not tense the action isn't good the dialogue is atrocious i mean and and the mythology joe (laughs) the mythology mythology. oh my god (laughs) well you alerted me to the fact that we clearly were aiming to do not maybe a franchise because 2006 we weren't exactly doing that with these kinds of films but clearly they were looking at ancillary markets like ooh, can we spin this out into graphic novels maybe comics like right I read One Piece because there have been numerous queer takes on this film, desperately trying to scratch beneath the surface and finding very little of substance there. But I think a lot of people look at this and say, oh, you know, the mythology is kind of interesting enough that I could see them revamping this and doing it as, you know, a limited Netflix series, six episodes. Give me some more. 
You know, so we're going to talk about what this reminds us of. You know, we're going to get a lot of like, because they were aiming for the Lost Boys. We get mm-hmm. a little bit of the craft in here, but it doesn't Absolutely. reach the... And I, everyone knows, I don't even like the craft that much. And this movie does not even reach that bar for me. Oh, God, no. At least the craft <laughs> is trying to say and do something interesting. This one is like gently toxic masculinity, but also trying to say something about, I don't know, I, I read this film as an allegory for like, hey, teen boys, try not to masturbate too much. Oh, well, but it's also like, okay, hey, we watched season six of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, oh my God, magic yeah. as a metaphor for drug use. That sounds uh-huh. smart. Let's do that. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, this movie is trying to do a lot and probably not succeeding oh my God. at nearly any of it. Take a shot every time they say the word use. it's so addictive trace it's so so seductive oh my god but oh wait so so joe can i take it do you like this movie okay so you and i were talking about this off air and i truly don't know i have watched this movie countless times like probably (laughs) yeah like we're we're coming up on i need both hands to count the number of times i've seen this film I have covered this before, so I have previously discussed this on Stop Horror Time, which is another queer horror podcast folks should be listening to. But yeah, I mean, I never enjoy the movie, but every time I watch it, I always find some things that are just, they're perplexing, they're unusual, I don't understand what people were thinking, the boys are hot, I wish they would make out more, and then it's over and I think, yeah, okay, I never need to watch that again. And then about a year and a half later, I'm watching it again. I mean, y'all, look... I never get angry with anyone for being like, watch this movie, like, whatever, especially for the podcast. But, like, Mm -hmm. I not only watch this movie, I watch the 20-minute making a featurette that's on the Blu-ray, which, okay, fine, 20 minutes, whatever. And then I watch the fucking commentary with Rennie Harlan. Okay. Oh, God. God bless Rennie Harlan. He... He's trying. (laughs) Honestly, there's there's camp factor in this movie because, again, it takes itself so seriously and it's stupid as fuck. Mm -hmm. But there's also a camp factor to me with how Rennie Harlan and his cast talk about this movie in these extra features because... Right. And look, I get it, you know, because they're doing this before the movie comes out. This is part of the marketing campaign, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. But they are all talking about this movie. Like, it is high art. Like, poor Laura Ramsey is like, oh, my God, it's so scary because she gets the only scene that's trying to be scary in the entire movie. Yes, the bad CGI spider sequence. Um, Oh, right, and the shower scene. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, the Hollow Man ripoff? Yeah, got it. Yes! Yes! And that's... (laughs) That scene, it goes on for so long, and then we leave. so long! No, but then she runs into one of the other guys, and she's like, well, let's let's go in there and look back. And I was like, we're going back in the shower? (laughs) How is this movie so long? And yet nothing has happened. It's so bad. But, okay, okay. But, no, I'm just going to jump right into this. Because, yeah, so as I said, this was directed by famed action thriller director Rennie Harlan. And Mm -hmm. it was written by J.S. Cardone and Joe. Oh, boy. I was going to say, does that name sound familiar to you? So I remembered when we covered it for the editorial series that we had strung together a connection. And I was like, I can't remember. So I was rewatching this and I thought, all of this car bullshit, it either reminds (laughs) me of the guy who does the Fast and the Furious movies Mm -hmm. or, oh my fucking God, is this by the guy who wrote the forsaken it is and y'all you are missing a treat if you have not listened to our episode on the forsaken that is one of the worst vampire movies i've ever seen also similarly boring filled with hot guys you just want to see make out yes absolutely and i mean not that this will give you any more confidence in this man but he also wrote the screenplays for the remakes of the stepfather and Mm. prom night which okay both of those are duds so (laughs) 
I, I mean, it really shouldn't come as a surprise that the script for The Covenant is nonsensical garbage. But they're all of an era, right? Like, this mm-hmm. movie is so firmly mid-2000s to me. Oh, this movie was dated by 2007. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but honestly, though, my surprise is that Rennie Harlan directed this. Because, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this before, you know, Rennie Harlan, I don't think has made a particularly good movie since 2004, about two years before this came out. But, I mean, look. He makes it big, you know, with Nightmare on Elm Street 4, goes right. to Die Hard 2, mm-hmm. goes to Cliffhanger. Oh, fantastic. I love Cliffhanger. Um, he, he has a career snag with the infamous bomb, Cutthroat Island. Right. Then he has a comeback, though, with The Long Kiss Goodnight and Deep Blue Sea. Oh, bangers, both of them. I know, but that's where the good Harlan ended. So in 2001... <laughs> <laughs> he never made it into the 2000s, folks. Oh, he did, but let me tell you. So 2001, he does the Sylvester Stallone racing movie, Driven. Oh my god, I hate that movie. It's so bad. Oh, I never saw it. I wasn't going to see that shit. It's so boring. So boring. 2004 sees the release of his Exorcist the Beginning, which of course was right. famous because that was going to be Paul Schrader. They fired him. Rennie Harlan was like, let me just refilm everything and make a new movie. So he did. So mm-hmm. his 04 is Exorcist the Beginning and Mind Hunters, which I definitely Ooh. want to cover on this podcast, Joe. Yes, we have brought it up several times. So, many times. so I think we will have to do it. <laughs> yes. Okay. So then he does Covenant in 06. And Joe. He has done 10 movies since The Covenant between 2007 oh. and 2021. Okay. We're going to play a game of have you heard of this movie? <laughs> oh, no. All right. And I'm going in chronological order. So we're starting in 2007. Okay. Cleaner. Ooh. Um, who's in it? Samuel Jackson. Ava Mendez. <laughs> I think I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you anything about what it is. Direct-to-video movie, Jackson is a crime scene cleaner. There you go. Sure. Okay. 12 Rounds. Ooh, that's clearly a shooting movie. Yeah. <laughs> John Cena action movie. It was theatrically released. Okay. Okay. All right. Five Days of War. No. Direct-to-video action movie with Andy Garcia and Val Kilmer. Why would I know that? I don't know. Devil's <laughs> Pass. Now we're in 2014 now. Devil's Pass. No. Found footage movie about the Diatlov Pass incident. I have oh, seen this one. Okay. It's okay. Is it any good? Man, I mean, it's like a found footage movie. Um, right. I think it starts off really good, but then once it starts trying to explain it, it gets real stupid uh, real fast. Yeah, because that is one of the most famous kind of cold cases, unsolved things. I feel like that would work really well as a found footage film. Hmm. It's, I mean, again, he's made worse movies. Let's put it that way. There we go. Yeah, you're going to tell me about one probably next. So Probably. Uh, the Legend of Hercules, starring Kellen oh. Lutz. Oh, God. Okay, so I have seen that, and it is <laughs> atrocious. Atrocious. That came out because there was another Hercules movie with The mm-hmm. Rock that was coming out, and it was like that volcano de- uh, 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 Dante's Peak thing where it's just like mm-hmm. one of them's going to be good, one of them's not. That, that's the bad one. Uh, spoiler, they're both bad. Okay. Um, okay. <laughs> Here, here's my zinger okay. skip trace I, I is that a word is that a title it is, <laughs> is a an one, lib? a one word title and joe the two lead actors of this movie mm-hmm. jackie chan and oh. johnny knoxville oh no <laughs> <laughs> so much why so much why I'll do the next two just in a, in a room because uh, you're not going to know what they are. Um, he okay. did two Chinese language films next. So we've oh. got Legend of the Ancient Sword and Bodies at Rest. Okay. 
Then he does a movie with Pierce Brosnan called The Misfits that I think might have been a Netflix release. And then mm. last year he did a Finnish film because uh, uh, he is Finnish uh, called Reunion 3 Singles Cruise. Oh, is that a romantic comedy? I don't. I think it's an action movie. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Nevertheless, what a wild career this man has had, which makes it all the more surprising that we are getting three Strangers movies from him this year. Oh, my gosh. Which... Yes, I still can't believe. I mean, we know for sure the first one is coming just yeah. like in two months, but mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm I'm still so curious to find out whether or not we will get the other two this year or if like how are they gonna do this? They have not told us any details. So intrigued. I am very intrigued, but I will say though, I mean, based on his filmography, which granted, I mean, I haven't seen most of these movies he's done in the past ten years, but right. I just like I, I mm -hmm. hope he's back in his 90s mode because I, I mean, this man is capable of making excellent oh, thrillers like he's mm -hmm. so good at set pieces, building tension. And yeah, then you watch something like The Covenant and you're like, where is what that happened? Man? Yeah, I feel like this movie is so bogged down by the ridiculous mythology, like the script is atrocious. Cardone is not good, particularly mm -hmm. with this film. But then also you can tell, I think, that Harlan himself is weighed down by the need for all of the special effects. Like, he's getting okay. lost in all of that. That is what I think happened, too. I think, I mean, look, I don't think there's really a good movie to make out of the screenplay. But Probably not. Again, when you're hearing him talk about it, all he is talking about are the effects and how he was. Mm -hmm. He storyboarded every scene because he knew this was going to be an effects-heavy film. Sure. And so, yeah, I just think it was like, a oh, I think that overtook him. So when he was like finally like editing it together, he was like, whatever, man. <laughs> well, he clearly doesn't care about the performances because the only person who is doing any good work here is Sebastian Stan. Yes, because he understands the assignment. And honestly, yeah. the smartest thing this movie does is reveal him as the villain Early. shortly after the halfway point, I feel like. Yeah, and just let him be unhinged. I mean... As usual, the villains are probably the most fun characters or the easiest to root for. And then we get to, you know, celebrate when they get their comeuppance at the end of the film. But the rest of the movie is either so dour, so stupid, or so nonsensical that you just keep waiting for Sebastian Stan to show back up because at least he's going to do something interesting. I think dour is a really good word. And that's the thing, you know, I keep saying self-serious, which this movie very much is. But it's mm -hmm. like, there's no sense of fun in this movie. And no, I, I, I do think the final climactic battle in the barn, which is, you know, two men just throwing CGI blobs at each other. Um, uh, CGI semen blobs, Trace. There, Let's get yes, it right. Absolutely. Semen blobs. I think there there's some life there. But by then, it's too little too late. 100%. Yeah, like you should be excited. And by that point, I just want the movie to be done. Yes. <laughs> but it doesn't help that actor Stephen Strait is a charisma vacuum. Which is so disappointing because I, I'm going to climb back up on my recommendation box and say yeah. The Expanse, to which mm -hmm. he stars, is a fantastic show. And sure, he's he's very stoic in that. But also, he is a good actor when you give him stuff to do. It's just like... This character is the definition of bland protagonist syndrome. It, it was so funny. My husband walked in and he was like, is that Taylor Lautner? And I was like, no, but I thought so yeah, <laughs> for like a be. quick second. <laughs> yeah. Even, you know, the, the fact that we have both him as well as Taylor Kitsch in this and you're just like, oh, hot guys who just have been given a bunch of chances, can't do anything with it. Mm -hmm. Just they don't 
do anything on the screen. They're not galvanizing or exciting or anything. And you're just, this movie is filled with hot, boring men. I mean, that's the thing. Like, Sebastian Sanders has definitely had the best career. But out of the others, I would think, I mean, Taylor Kitsch, maybe because of Friday Night Lights. But yes. I actually think Chase Crawford might have the best career out of the rest of them. Oh, I mean, this is a very low poll, but yeah. <laughs> you might be right. I And here's the thing, y'all. If y'all have not watched The Boys, Chase Crawford is genuinely great on The Boys. Like, he's not the Fantastically comedic. Oh, yes. And it's like he leans into that kind of himbo uh, yes. persona that, he, that has followed him his whole career. And I really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, would we have something similar to that in this? Like, imagine if this movie had the kind of comedic zaniness of the boys. I think it would be so much more enjoyable. Well, we didn't want to do that in 2006, but no, whatever. No. <laughs> it's true. So I don't have a ton of production because um, no one cares about this movie. Uh, not even the people <gasps> that made it. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> filming took place in Montreal in late 2005, which means they were filming in freezing weather um, for a film yeah. that's set in the middle of summer, which truthfully, though, this movie is so I don't know what movie is bluer, this or Underworld. And yeah, or nothing. The Ring, right? Like we all oh, looked yeah. at The Ring and we said, oh, Gore Verbinski made a bunch of money. So let's do that. But like nothing about this movie screams summer to me. And maybe it's because like well, it's not midsummer, by the way, it's end of summer. So we're oh. moving into fall because remember, that's why <laughs> you'd be forgiven for not realizing that the new school year has just begun. The only reason it stands out is because Sarah is a new transfer. Student. Oh my god. There are some scenes in the provost office, which I, I, that just brought me back to like, like saying the word provost brings me back to the skulls. <laughs> right? Uh huh. Uh huh. But I was like, why is this scene even here? Like, this does not need to be in this movie. <laughs> this character, who cares? who cares? As if we couldn't find a different way to get some of this exposition out. Unless he was going to be the lead of some, like, uh, enemy warlock coven, I guess. But whatever. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, okay. So all the spiders in this movie are CGI. Shockingly. Shocker. They, they look like shit. Yeah. Um, so for the spider, like, at least just one spider. Mm-hmm. Some, and this is uh, Rennie Harlan's exact quote, some genius suggested getting trained spiders, but I was skeptical. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. They bring an animal wrangler and they got he brought a bunch of creepy bugs and he auditioned them for the crew. And nice. okay. while doing this, one of the spiders escaped and went under the sofa and they lost it. So then Rennie Harlan Uh-oh. was like, nope, not doing that. We're just going to do CGI for all of them. And I was like, hmm. sir, arachnophobia came out 16 years ago and they trained thousands of spiders. Yeah. And look at how well that movie holds up. And look at how this movie was dated the minute it was released. And it's so funny because Rennie Harlan talks about how um, with the opening scroll in the film, you know, we get like three or four pages of expository text. And Rennie Harlan in the commentary says, yeah, you know, um, we had these in scenes like in exposition, but I just thought I was bringing things down and we didn't have enough money to like go back, write and reshoot things. And I was like, you had 20 million (laughs) dollars. What the fuck were you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Spending them on CGIC and blobs so bad um anyway this movie comes out september 7th 2006 against fellow newcomers the protector the uh, tony jean martial arts film and hollywoodland um that one with ben affleck and diane lane about george reeves yeah uh it placed first at the box office grossing 8.6 million its opening weekend and goes on to gross 23 million domestically and 14 million internationally for a worldwide gross of 37 million She's a loser, baby. Yeah, but I mean, so we got a $20 million budget, so it wasn't a flop, but I don't <laughs> think it would have broken even with, when, once no. marketing costs were factored in. No, 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 no. Critics 
hated this movie. <laughs> I was shocked at how bad these scores are. I think this might be the worst reviewed film we've ever covered on the podcast. And y'all, by all means, like, let us know, have we covered something with worst reviews? Because we are looking at a 4% on Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh. It's gone up 1% compared to some of the reviews that I was looking at before. <laughs> the average score is 2.9 out of 10. And that to me is the yeah. kicker. Like 2.9? Like what, man? Mm -hmm. um, a 19 out of 100 on Metacritic. And Letterboxd oh. users are generous. They have given this a 4.4 out of 10. Okay. I mean, we often find that Letterboxd is a little bit higher end for mm -hmm. a lot of these scores. I can't help but wonder if that's some of the reappraisal where people are looking at it and saying, this movie is campy and stupid fun. Just get down to its level. Well, and to be fair, it's that genuine camp where it's like, this movie doesn't know that it's mm -mm. stupid. I never no. get that vibe from this movie. <laughs> no, any camp pleasure you're deriving from this film, it was not intended for. I just hate it because I'll tell people this movie is shitty. They're like, yeah, but the guys are so cute. And I was like, again, yeah. I can go watch porn. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, and even... There's other movies with super hot guys that are also just more enjoyable. I mean, to me, this is kind of the definition of a guilty pleasure. Like, you're yeah. watching it for very shallow, very silly, very stupid reasons. And if you get pleasure out of that, then by all means, go for it. But I don't think anybody is pretending like, no, this movie is secretly good. It's like, no, we all know it's bad. And it's just a question of whether you like that. And if y'all are screaming and it's like, wait, y'all said there's no such thing as a guilty pleasure. You're correct. There is no such thing but as a guilty pleasure. But but yeah, if there was going to be one, <laughs> it mm. would be this. <laughs> Like, this is showing up in no one's letterbox top four. We'll put it that way. You know what? You say that. I say that. It's probably someone's number one film. So I, I apologize if that's I you. wonder if there's a way to search for that. Like, if you can just be like, show me letterbox profiles where this movie is in someone's oh. top four. You know what? Letterbox, reach out because yes. that would be a very fun search option. That would also be really fun to find like-minded, uh, like, friends and viewers. Oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, letterbox, do that. But um Do that. Jed, that's literally all I have about this movie. So let's okay. talk about what happens. <laughs> Amazing. Let me fill the vacuum with nonsense. <laughs> okay. Please read this entire opening scroll. Jesus Christ, no. I I dropped this, you know, I started to be like, okay, this is what we got. That, and it was no edit, no edit. Just get rid of all of this. So here's what you get for the opening scroll. We opened with a scroll about the power capitalized. The Book of Damnation and how the sons of dipshit, oh, I mean, sorry, the <laughs> sons of Ipswich set up in Massachusetts after escaping prejudice and persecution in Europe, and they formed a covenant of silence about their boy witch powers trace. Okay, the, the, the irony of this, though, is that we get all of this exposition in about three or four like all pages right. of scroll. Mm-hmm. It's like one minute into the movie, you learn basically everything except the Ascension stuff. Okay, but like also the Darklings, which come up once in this movie and I don't think ever come back. Uh, I mean, we see the Darklings several times. We are told about them, I think, once. And we have no idea what they mean or why they're important. And they, they don't affect the film. In they're like little goblin ghost things. And sure. they appear when the boys... I have mm -hmm. no idea. I have no mm -hmm. idea. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't figure out if it's meant to be a warning or if it's just a residual lingering symptom that Chase has been using his powers. I don't know. Yes. I... <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine, man. 
And you know what, folks? If you do know the answer to this, don't reach out. I don't want to know. I don't care. I don't care. But okay, so we get this scroll, and then we go into the New opening metal credits. credits. New metal. <laughs> <laughs> and then all these book pages. It's so timely, like of the time. You know, you mentioned Underworld, and mm -hmm. I feel like other films of that ilk were very much, you know, this is how we get the straight boys into watch this movie. Which, if they're being smart, they would have marketed this to teenage girls. Teenage girls and gays, because that yeah. is the that is the audience who is going to eat this shit up. This was probably fodder for teenage girls who were having slumber parties. And obviously, we are covering this on the show, y'all, because the homoeroticism in this movie is off the charts. It's palpable. <laughs> mm -hmm. You could fill a swimming pool with it. We'll yeah, it that they way. do, actually. They do. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we're introduced to these sons of dipshit. And the reason I'm making that joke and will continue to make that joke, even if you don't find it funny for the rest of the episode, uh -huh. is because these boys are so fucking stupid. I get the whole thing is that the powers are addictive and they're seductive and it's really hard to resist using them, but they use their powers for the dumbest possible shit at every opportunity. They're just lazy. Like they they're are so lazy. lazy. Like they're like the people in Wally -E who just can't do anything for themselves. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have preferred that these characters have T-Rex arms and are just like, I can't do it. I have to use the power. <laughs> and like, okay, so but we open them on this cliff, right? And they're all jumping off this cliff. And then, uh, mm -hmm. immediately the line delivery, because Taylor Kitsch has this line. Oh, Taylor Kitsch's name, by the way, is Pogue. Pogue. What <laughs> is that name? No, Trace. Okay, the names are Pogue Perry. That's Taylor Kitsch. Tyler Sims is Chase Crawford. Reed Garwin is Toby Hemingway. And then our protagonist, boring uh, Stephen Strait's character, is called Caleb Danvers. What in good God are these names? Oh, I'm sorry, Stephen Strait in quotation marks, too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he's dreamy. I, I know, <laughs> but no. So Taylor Kitsch just goes, "It's not gonna kill us yet," and the line delivery is so fucking bad. <laughs> and then we like Matrix cartoon, you know, really badly rendered video game composite. Jump off this cliff and watch as the boys, you know, shoot through the fog in the air and land on the beach. And then we slow walk into this beach party. It is. So ridiculous. It, it, I mean, like, as soon as I saw this, I, I <laughs> my heart just sank. And I was like, oh, right. <laughs> so already at this beach party, by the way, folks probably remember this from when we covered Raw. But I love to focus on scenes where people are dancing on screen, <laughs> because as we know, they're not actually dancing to the music. But in this case, if you watch any two dancers, they are dancing to completely different tracks, and no one has any rhythm. God, I need to, like, adopt this habit of yours, because you tell me every time, and I always forget to look when I see dancings in movies. This one is especially egregious, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so we're introduced to these four. We don't know anything about them except that they have the power. And then we immediately go into, okay, here's our bland love interest, Sarah, who is played by Laura Ramsey doing, I guess, her best with absolutely nothing. Yeah. You know, y'all, in case you don't remember, Laura Ramsey's from, like, The Ruins, and she is mm -hmm. arguably, like, has the, the most to work with in that movie, and she's great in it. Yeah. She disappeared from the face of the planet. Like, she took a break from acting for, like, eight years and just okay. returned last year with a Lifetime movie. Hmm. Okay. 
Okay. Yeah. I like her, but yeah, she has nothing to do in this movie. And honestly, yeah. why we need both her and Jessica Lucas as Kate, I don't know. Yeah, and if you think that uh, if you think that Laura Ramsey has a bad part, then let us introduce you to Jessica Lucas's Kate because I don't even know why she's in the movie. Well, and so let me tell you this. Rennie Harlan on the commentary, and this is his progressivism in 2006, he was like, oh, I dear. really knew that I wanted Kate to be played by an African-American because I wanted to show that it wasn't just a bunch of rich white people in this town. It could be people of all colors. And I was like, oh, good. Okay. <laughs> he gave her this piece of shit role. <laughs> I mean, I guess, but also, wouldn't it have made more sense for him to cast, like, I don't know, like, everything that we're told about these Spencer Academy that they're attending is that it is elitist. And, you know, even at this beach party, when we're introduced to Townie Kira, who is played by Sarah Smith, as well as her maybe boyfriend, it's never really clear, Aaron, who is played by Kyle Schmidt. Sure. They both come off as like, oh, well, it's white trash, but also clearly the Spencer kids think that they're way better than all of the townies. So there is a weird class critique at play. The problem is that Kate doesn't have any distinguishing characteristics. So like she and Sarah are interchangeable. Like, why not give Jessica Lucas the sarah part then well because i then i think because i mean again if he's going i want this rich the girl who's already here who's already rich to be the black girl uh, right, if you make okay. it sarah she's not rich though she got there from a scholarship right sure this yeah. makes it sound like any of this is important and of course none of it will come to anything because the movie especially does not care about its female characters oh i mean jessica lucas is out i have something to say about that because too there's also bad editing in this movie we're like we <laughs> We see her in the hospital with all those spider bites. Mm -hmm. And then there's like, we, we go to a scene with the boys and then we come back to Laura mm -hmm. Ramsey calling them to tell them. But like, in that scene, Kate's getting loaded into an ambulance to go mm -hmm. to the hospital. And we already saw her there the scene before. Okay, so I also had that flagged, and then it took me a hot second. You're right, it is badly edited, but it does make sense. They're at the school infirmary, and then she's ah. getting so bad that they have to take her to the hospital, but it's not at all clear. I think she's out of the movie after that, and again, we never see this happen to her, so it's all this off-screen bullshit. Well, we saw it in the nightmare that we thought was just a nightmare. Oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I'm not justifying anything that this movie is doing, because if anybody is confused by anything, you're absolutely right to be, because the movie doesn't know what it's doing. But also, like, this Kira girl, like, she disappears in the movie after this. Like, I was like, oh, 100%. cool, she's going to be, like, the bully bitch of the movie, and then mm -hmm. nope. No. No. Which I don't know if it's meant to be something of a red herring where we think the conflict is going to be between the elitism of the Spencer Academy and the townies. But oh, no, it's actually about Chase. But wouldn't it? But see, wouldn't your first idea have been more interesting? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Good. Mm hmm. Okay, so speaking of Chase Collins, so after, yes, the, the sons of dipshit show up on the beach, and Kate is like, oh, it's them, they're here, and we get the slow motion walk. Uh, yeah, we almost get into a fight with Aaron, because he clearly does not like these rich bitch kids, mm -hmm. and so he goes to nearly start a fight, Reed ends up making his friend vomit on his back, but Chase is there to step in in case Caleb needs a hand. By the way, gets very confusing when you name your central protagonist and antagonist two very similar sounding C names. Oh. There's no other letters in the alphabet? Joe, okay, you will think I'm an idiot, but 
I <laughs> there are scenes, especially in the end, when it's mm-hmm. just Sebastian Stan and Steven straight like talking to each other, like practically almost kissing. Right. But the camera breaks the 180 degree rule a lot, so we're going mm-hmm. to both sides of them, and I got so confused because I couldn't tell these fuckers apart when I was staring at them in profile. Yep. Is it Hot Boy A or Hot Boy B? Is it Chase yeah. or Caleb? Cannot tell you. <laughs> Cannot tell you. I mean, <laughs> at least Reed is blonde and Taylor Kitsch has long hair and Chase mm-hmm. Crawford is practically invisible in this movie. So sure. like, but it's just these two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Not making it easy for us. No. I don't want to think during this movie. <laughs> oh boy, this movie barely makes anybody think. So, yes, we're about to throw down... And then that's when the cops show up. So the beach party has been broken up. All of a sudden, we're running through the woods. We have a high-speed car chase that ends with the four boys driving over a cliff, reshaping the SUV in midair, and then flying over the cops as we get our Harry Potter line. Joe, the whole thing is, they're suppo- the covenant, the titular covenant, mm-hmm. <laughs> is to be quiet about your powers. Yep. Yep. And these boys, the first scene of the movie, they are doing this car chase, driving off a cliff. And then I thought, okay, cool. They'll just think that they're dead, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they have the gall to mm-hmm. just, like, drop behind them, which makes it clear they've been using magic. Yeah. We we end up even having a scene later where the police say, oh, well, you must have been imagining it. You must have been seeing the lights from the light keeper <laughs> or a plane or something. It's so bad. But, yeah, these boys, I mean... I think the whole purpose of this scene is, A, let's get some special effects in here because we have to see this car get reconstituted and we'll use the same trick twice in a little bit. But also it's, oh, the hubris of them. They're not going to be able to control themselves. Look, they're already in over their heads and none of them have even ascended yet. These guys are all assholes. And Reed is only there as a red herring because we're supposed to think that he's the villain before it's revealed to be Sebastian Stan. And I'm not going to lie, though. I honestly think that I, the first time I saw this, because I wasn't super familiar with Sebastian Stan back in uh, 2018, I guess. Okay. I think on my first watch, I kept getting Caleb and Chase confused scene to scene. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) I think that the difference is that Sebastian Stan is conventionally more attractive, and that's about it. Well, he also has a meteor part. Well, yes, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So we go back to these blue-lit Spencer dorms, and we see Chase pick a spider off of Kate's shoulder. So, ooh, foreshadowing. So does Sebastian Stan, like, control spiders only, or is it just his choice? He's like, no, I can control anything, but I specifically want to control spiders. I don't know. I don't know. It's (laughs) Harry Potter nonsense, so. Also, not that I need more characters in this movie, but are there any students at this school? no that's the other fun thing about this is that it's meant to be i mean you could say it's like an elite academy but trace this reminded me so much of that movie seance that we covered where it's like ooh, it's an elite dorm but also there's only five students because we didn't cast any extras to populate this world folks we've got a patreon episode on it that movie is it's not a good movie. ridiculous and bad but we do have fun talking about it much in the same way we're having fun talking about this. But you know what we're seeing more of, though? I'm thinking of, like, the sacrifice game and for non-horror, like, the holdovers, where it's like, oh, mm-hmm. it's like kids left behind over over holiday break, and that's sure. the excuse for it being in. Or Black Coat's Daughter, even. At least those make sense, right? Like, yeah. this is meant to be, oh, the start of the academic year is tomorrow. That's why we're having this <laughs> beach blowout. And instead, it looks like everyone has just left for the year. There are no students at this school except for the no characters one. in this movie. 
Yeah. And then there's one scene where we see them in class and there's a bunch of other people. And I just think, I get it. You know, this was undoubtedly shot on a different day, but you couldn't even have a couple of girls walking around this dorm when Kate and Sarah are out and about. Something, something, anything. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So we see Pogue. We see Pogue (laughs) drive off on Chekhov's motorcycle, and then Caleb goes to visit his smoking-slash-drinking alcoholic mother, Evelyn, who's played by the wonderful Wendy Crewson, who gets... nothing to do in this movie okay but i will say i actually did like the way this scene was shot because Mm -hmm. it hides her face behind the chair she's sitting in for so much of it as if it's like this big reveal as to the actress playing her and like Mm -hmm. i like wendy cruson i don't know if your average viewer knows who wendy cruson is like if this was gina gershon i might be like yes like this justifies like this like reveal sure yeah i agree though i wish she had more to do because she could really camp it up as the alcoholic Mm -hmm. mom right yeah, I can't help but wonder if this is similar to other instances of foreshadowing in the film. This feels to me like the way that we're also hiding the reveal with the dad, aka Stephen McCaddy, who is criminally underused in this movie. Mm-hmm. But it, it very much feels like, ooh, there's so many dark secrets in the Danvers household, starting with the mom, but really the dad. Okay, but this scene only mm-hmm. exists for exposition because she goes, goes on this whole rant. You're going to turn 18 and you're going to age every time you use magic. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to change. That's what your father said. Blah, 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 mm-hmm. blah. And then we keep using that ascending. And I'm like, ugh, <laughs> gag me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's one of those things where the film is trying to make fetch happen. Only fetch is ascension. But that's the thing. So hey, these boys that are all descendants from like these Salem witch families, mm-hmm. they get their powers at 13. But again, they just taste of it. But then when they ascend, they get their full powers. But mm-hmm. every time they use their magic, it drains their life force and makes them age. And so I'm just like... Y'all didn't think of, like, a binding spell or a spell Mm -hmm. to get rid of your magic at all? Yeah. It's like every time you think about using your magic, you have to slap the elastic band around your wrist or something like that. I don't mind the aging thing because it calls to mind, uh, like, the hunger, right? Well, and here's the thing. So I'm going to bring in a quote later on from our former guest and fellow podcasting friend, Devon Taylor, who wrote about Mm -hmm. this film for Horror Press. But he equates their powers as not just a queer allegory, where it's like something you want to do, but you shouldn't dip into because it'll hurt you. Mm -hmm. But then also the aging to AIDS. Uh, I mean, when you finally see Stephen McCaddy um, in his full old man makeup, I, Mm -hmm. I, 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 I could see the parallels there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, this is nothing but an exposition dump. Wendy Crewson, thanks for showing up. We'll see you in about an hour. Yeah, (laughs) an hour. (laughs) (laughs) So we cut over to the dorms because, of course, we learn that Caleb is so great that he won't even live in the dorms. He stays at home to be with his mom or whatever. But then we were getting more exposition where Kate explains to her about the sons at Ipswich. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But also important to note that if you like women, this scene could be construed as being for you because, of course, the girls are just hanging out in their panties and bras and nighties and all these things. And it was very much what straight men think girls do in the dorms oh that's there's a line later where um uh caleb asks sarah something like wait y'all talk about me and she's like oh you know just girl stuff and i was like Mm -hmm. oh man wrote that line 100 (laughs) percent um but of course we also get the key piece of information here that there were originally five Mm -hmm. ipswich families but the fifth was killed during the salem witch hunt who could it be who could it be 
literally, it's so fucking obvious who it is. <laughs> There's only one other boy in this movie. Exactly. <laughs> well, actually, it could have been Aaron, I guess, but who? Oh. He's not in the movie, though, after this. Like, yeah, like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> is he in the pool scene? Maybe he's in the pool scenes. Uh, he is not in the pool scenes. He is playing pool at the bar. Right, right. I yeah. forgot. Again, you're forgiven for forgetting because none of it matters. <laughs> okay, so also attached to the scene, we see the cops discovering the body of a dead boy who was played by Christian Barrel, and uh, he's discovered in a car in the woods, which we call the Dells for no reason at all. And again, you'd be forgiving for forgetting about this because we'd never meet this kid, but no. his death weighs over the plot of this movie all the way to the end. I mean, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is also the Darkling that we will see a couple of times throughout the film as well. But yeah, it's this feels like it's going to become so important. And you're right. We do keep bringing it up, but also it doesn't amount to anything. It means nothing. Like, again, why doesn't he just kill one of the other boys from Ipswich? Exactly. Yeah, because later on, he's very clearly focused on Caleb exclusively. Uh, you know, maybe he would just do this to the other two after Caleb is gone, because he does threaten to kill the other two, as well as Sarah, as well as but Kate. Wouldn't it make okay, a more interesting movie if he starts killing off the four boys one by one until it's just mm -hmm. Caleb left? And then it's like, oh, he's the killer. So it's almost like a slasher movie of sorts. Yeah, and you could even have the other boys come into their powers first. So it's like, oh, he's becoming so much more powerful because he is getting their powers as the movie Jesus progresses. Christ. We're fixing the movie, y'all. We just fixed it. We just did it. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this Hollow Man ripoff because Sarah's got to have a shower at 2 a.m. in the dorms. Uh, in an empty dorm room. Um, these, I love how lecherous this shot is because the shot we get of her in the shower, it's not just a back shot like the camera because um, Laura Ramsey has a tattoo right above her ass crack. Right. So we have to make sure we can get that tattoo in the frame whenever we're mm -hmm. shooting her in the shower. <laughs> yeah, so much salacious skin. Uh, really just reinforcing, ooh, this movie is for boys. It's definitely a horror movie for straight dudes. Definitely no homo here. And this is the <laughs> no, no homo whatsoever. Oh, my God. Stay far away from me. But this is also the only scene that is trying, I think, to be scary or tense or suspenseful. And mm -hmm. it is so boring. Like, we're just watching this girl walk around an empty shower. Yeah. And I think it could be more effective if you're right. It was shorter. But also, if we haven't seen something like this a million times before, like, this is the definition of what horror films do. It's a character. Yeah isolated walking around in the dark hearing a noise it's like there's nothing particularly novel about this except for the fact that she's more vulnerable because she's in a towel oh yeah she does not want to get close <laughs> and it's it's just a light bulb then we get this awful cgi fog thing um mm -hmm. which i guess this is meant to be chase yes yeah because okay. he can either astral project or he can disguise himself like he's got some kind of protective shield that makes him invisible but he's just doing this because he's hollow manning he just wants to do a peep show i 
guess yeah and then i mean i think at this stage in the film we're meant to wonder who is the fifth member is chase trustworthy and then of course we've got this fake out with reed so we go oh well maybe it was actually him who we saw who can we actually trust but this is when okay, like we spent like three minutes following her around the shower she goes mm-hmm. out he scares her in this fake jump scare which is really bad yep. and then he's like well let's go back in and we spend another minute <laughs> looking around this fucking empty shower <laughs> investigating an empty room thrilling content so thrilling it's my favorite (laughs) (laughs) okay so caleb does note the disturbance in the force wait no copyright copyright we can't say that um there was something about the power that woke me up in the middle of the night so when he sees the darkling in the car next to him while he's talking to pogue he's so distracted he almost drives into a truck delivering logs it's uh it's It's the Final Destination 2 truck. I was going to say, yeah. And we reconstitute a car again. This kind of, I mean, it looks like a cartoon, but it kind of looks cool. I I think the idea is good. But Mm -hmm. back to this Darkling. Oh, God. This is the first, (laughs) correct me if I'm wrong. This is the Mm -hmm. first time we've seen a Darkling in this movie right now, right? Yep. Okay. And he's on the phone with Taylor Kitsch and he's like, oh, I just saw a Darkling. Mm-hmm. We have uh, so never we're meant to know what that means. We've never heard this term before. And nope. I don't even think we get a good like they never explain it, do they? Mm-mm. No. Uh, so you you messaged me and we were trying to figure out if we were supposed to know it or if they had mentioned it before. So I went back and rewatched the opening credits where we're seeing passages from mm-hmm. the Book of Damnation. And lo and behold, we're focusing on this, you know, like, if they use their powers, they will die. It will kill them. We see that fucking passage twice. Why couldn't we have had something about a Darkling in there? Or, like, why not just, like, remove... Literally, the Darkling serves no purpose other than just to scare him into, like, you know, hitting this car. But then again, like, they don't really make a... They don't make an appearance really much more for the rest of the film. And so it's like, why even include them except for the one cheap jump scare it offers it's the cheap jump scare and the alert that some new dark force has entered their surroundings that's it's not enough to justify it for sure so stupid but i mean anyway like but i would argue the best effect in this movie is this car rebuilding (laughs) itself and that isn't saying a lot but it's cool i guess it's kind of cool. I think it's also meant to suggest that Caleb is that much stronger than the other boys because when we saw them reconstitute the SUV when they drive it over the cliff, they say it's going to take all four of us. But here we see Caleb do it under pressure just by himself. We haven't mentioned though, whenever they use their magic, their eyes have like a gold ring that just <sighs> makes their eyes turn black. <laughs> Unless they, yeah, like they really have to use their powers a lot, then they go black. Mm-hmm. Then they go black, yeah. But if it's just like a quick little like, oh, I, I'm late like let me bring that pin across the room over to my my seat uh yeah that's a gold ring <laughs> yeah exactly and it's like you probably took a year off your life dude what the fuck are you talking about get up off your ass mm-hmm. yeah you're gonna have to have cosmetic surgery because your neck now looks like a wrinkled fucking apple and there's no way around it because they even say because you know, the, the, what we will learn is that chase wants to take their powers because mm-hmm. he needs more of it but that doesn't stop the aging process so no. it's like it, I mean, I get it. You know, we're talking about addiction themes here. So it's irresistible, blah, 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 blah. We see it. That's how the movie cliffhanger ends. But yeah. it's just like, y'all, yeah. no. <laughs> Learn to control yourselves. Keep your hands off your fucking dicks just yeah. for a little while. No, there's no dick in. Well, actually, there would have been dick in this movie if there wasn't CGI steam in that we'll, locker room scene. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> 
Okay, so we head into town, and this is where Caleb meets up with Sarah at the pharmacy. He's running errands, so he takes her, and we drive past Putnam Farm. Definitely won't play a role in the film. We don't need to know anything about that. (laughs) And then we go to Colony House. We definitely don't need to remember anything about this either. Ironically enough, though, we do spend more time at Colony House. This is where we will eventually realize his dad is hanging out. And he's being looked after by shotgun-wielding caretaker Gorman, who is played by Frank Fontaine. And this is another character that exists in the film and basically doesn't have a role to play. Because we we get this tease, right? We don't see the dad in this scene, but we Mm -mm. see Gorman with the shotgun, like, staring out the window. And we don't come back to it until the very end of the movie. So you're like, why is this here? Except just a tease that we will eventually come back here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but... Did this character need to be here? Could we not have just had Stephen McCaddy with his aged fingers, you know, look at the window or something like that? Like, right? Or a hand? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <sighs> okay. So, Trace, let's strip down to our tank tops and go to Nikki's, which is the <laughs> towny bar. Okay. So, we've got Pogue, Reed, and Tyler once again wasting their literal lives away using their powers to bet on whether or not a girl is wearing underwear. This is so stupid. Like, <laughs> this was in all the trailers. Like, hey, boys, hey, bros, this is totally for you. Boys using their powers of own sexy girls. Honestly, I would rather have an R rated version of this where we can just get really fucking gross with it and be like, fine, like, make her bra open and have her titties pop out. Oh my god <laughs> the r-rated version of this yeah i mean that's the i honestly like i don't think there's a good version of this movie except for the one that you and i are writing as we discuss mm-hmm. but this pg-13 rating just makes this whole movie feel so toothless and bland at least if you had an r rating you can maybe add some more exciting aspects to it but none of that is here Well, even the weird thing where we're emphasizing so much the FX work, right? You know, we talked about how Harlan was attracted to it. It probably used up too much of his brain time. And that's maybe one of the reasons why the film isn't so good. But even as they're using their powers, wouldn't it have been effective to see them incrementally getting wrinkles around the eyes or on their fingers or something just to connote, oh, using these powers is actually having an effect on them as they go? I actually, yeah, and I think that's actually a much more interesting story. Now, I, I made the crack about Buffy season six, but again, mm-hmm. th- th- there is an interesting story there that Absolutely. I almost kind of wish, yeah, it was like, oh, like one day maybe like one of the kids comes to school and he's like all of a sudden like played by a different like older actor. Um, right. If, if like, I don't know, that was kind of the main story and not this stupid, well, but then we lose Sebastian Stan like chewing the scenery. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And honestly, that's all this movie has going for it, except for the hot boys. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) I do love that we're doing I Love Rock and Roll during this bar scene, too. I was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, I kind of like it. It always reminds me that Britney did a rendition of it, which I Mm -hmm. didn't mind. But um, I mean, I'm definitely still on the film's wavelength at this point. You know, some of this dialogue is so fucking bad. It's cringe. But it's still kind of a fun, stupid, silly little movie at this point. And I feel like these scenes in the bar actually go a long way to helping me at least understand that you know the boys are tied to each other because they're all sons of ipswich but they have slightly distinct personalities or they don't all get along like they're not just a foursome and it's unclear whether the girls are going to come between them like but we're also kind of having fun like i think 
there's a bit of even energy in the way Harlan directs the dance sequence. Like we're moving the camera around. It's happening mm-hmm. at, you know, crotch level. So we can really understand everybody wants to fuck, even though nobody fucks in this movie. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long winded diatribe of saying this scene is OK to me. No, and I was just going to going to rebut you and just be like, I just I think it's all very boring. Fair. Yep. I can also see that, too. We should note that uh, there is a, a, I think, unintentionally funny moment where Sarah looks over and realizes that she and Kate have basically been left by all the boys. Like the boys have basically said, we don't need the girls. We're going to go and have fun on our own. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, homoeroticism. Oh, yeah. And Kate just goes, we know boys and their toys. And I was like, dick euphemism. (laughs) <laughs> and this is when we get one of my favorite line readings though is uh it's not right using on each other caleb <laughs> <laughs> so we're using so much and we're using on each other <laughs> yeah we've got this uh, absolutely stupid thing so this is where we see aaron because uh reed yeah. and tyler yes that's uh that's the other character's name played by chase sure. crawford they are swindling the townies for their money by playing pool, obviously using their powers to win. This upsets Aaron and his friends. We nearly get a bar fight. And then, of course, Caleb has to come in and be like, it's not right. Don't use your powers. I'm going to throw you into a bunch of beer bottles. Barrels, but yes. <laughs> So Reed protests that he was not using. So the Darkling, the surge of the power that Caleb felt the previous night was not him. But, you know, I think at this point, we're still not meant to fully trust him to tell the truth. No, but I mean, if you're even moderately savvy, you know, this is a red herring. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So Caleb drops Sarah off at the dorms. We have a brief kiss. Then she goes in and we get the CGI spider nightmare. This is okay. I mean, the problem is that the CGI is so glaringly bad that it just doesn't look good and it takes you out of it. But watching the spiders drill themselves into Kate, if you have arachnophobia, this would be very upsetting. I think the spiders look worse when it's just one. Okay. So, you know, we we look at the ground and there's spiders all on the ground. But then we look up and there's spiders all on the ceiling and they still mm-hmm. look CGI. But I think just yeah. the, the hordes of them, like it, it doesn't look as bad when there's just one CGI spider on screen. Right. Because you've got nothing else to look at. This is exactly. like, ooh, they're moving in a mess. There's so many of them. And I just want to be like, you couldn't train one fucking spider. Just one spider, man. <laughs> just fine. one fucking spider is all we're asking for. But, and y'all go listen to our Patreon episode on arachnophobia because we talk about how they train those spiders and wrangled them in that movie. Mm-hmm. Or keep an eye out for Infested, which is a French film that we hope will come out this year, which has a mix of practical and CGI spiders and uses them to great effect. Agree. And actually, that's a Shutter acquisition. So I would I would assume we're getting that this year. I hope so, because I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, I wrote my notes in all caps. Oops, it's a fucking nightmare sequence. Mm-hmm. But is it, Trace? Is it? Well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is a cool shot, yeah, when they, like, you said that spider crawls out of Kate's forehead, but that, that right there is when we wake up out of the nightmare. Yes, yeah. Uh, what's interesting is that Caleb is still very much drawn to this use of power. So, you know, you can use your powers of deduction to figure out that this is Chase who's informing these events. But Caleb ends up waking up as though he's the one who had the nightmare. And then he gets a call from Pogue who says, I saw the Darkling. And you're just like, 
Does that mean Pogue is the second strongest? Or is the Darkling just kind of doing the rounds? And where is that scene? Yeah, we don't see it. <laughs> Honestly, it does feel what rewatching this movie makes me think that there were a bunch of cut scenes or mm -hmm. scenes that were maybe scripted and that we didn't film them that fill in some of the gaps because there's just there's glaring plot holes as the film progresses. One thing I couldn't figure out, and again, because there's just not a ton of information about the making of this film, is I don't know when it like finished post-production. So I wonder mm. if they were like finishing these effects like up until its release. It's entirely possible. Yeah, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, but can we co- I think next up we have this extremely unnecessary classroom scene. Oh yeah, we gotta settle in for English Lit. So this is where we will see the most extras, except for that beach party scene. So it's like, this is where we spent that budget. Mm -hmm. And uh, Reed confirms that he is a man of extremely poor taste because he says he wants to read Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. So- I wrote in my notes, I think that joke, which it, that is the joke, mm -hmm. is the only reason this scene exists. Because they're given this assignment by the professors. So we're going to talk about like modern American authors. And like they're, mm -hmm. they're doing like Cormac McCarthy, some other guy, some other guy, and then Stephen King. And yeah, then they just get this <laughs> joke. Oh, Dreamcatcher was the shit. And I was like, is that? but then the, the scene's over. And mm -hmm. I was like, why? Why, why is this scene now? in this movie? <laughs> yep. Tabitha, the Covenant homos like my farty alien book. <laughs> Oh, we're going to have to cover Dreamcatcher one day, aren't we? No, no, I I refuse. That really? movie is so bad. I, know, I mean, I haven't seen it since 2003, but, and it is bad. But it's also like a very like homoerotic, again, fart alien movie. Oh, God, please. Do we not have better options? You're, we're covering The Covenant. <laughs> okay, point taken, point taken. And next week, we have an equally shitty movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yes also <laughs> yeah so this classroom scene this is the purpose once again yeah like you know don't talk to me about budget don't talk to me about how long it takes to shoot things because this scene doesn't need to be in the movie serves 100%. no function it, literally someone thought insulting Stephen King would be really funny and we had to keep sure. the scene in the movie yeah I mean the only other reason is because we do get this memo that Caleb has been requested to meet with Provost Higgins, who is played by fantastic actor Kenneth Welsh. Again, getting nothing to do. Completely <laughs> useless character in this movie. He doesn't even die. Like, why doesn't he get killed? I know, right? It, it would totally make sense because he knows about Chase's records. Unless mm -hmm. he's in on it. Which would maybe lend credence to your idea that he's part of some larger cabal or he's another warlock from another family or something. I don't know. Maybe that was in the sequel plan for this movie. Since, I mean, spoiler alert, y'all, but Chase does not die at the end of this movie. Right. Yes. But essentially, Provost Higgins asks Chase to look after. Nope. Nope. Did it. There we go. I <laughs> yep. knew I was going to do it because it's all over my fucking notes. <clears throat> but yeah, so Provost Higgins asks Caleb to look after Chase because they've gotten chummy. And I do love that we're using the term endowment. And I was just like, yo, the homo oh. I'm like, look after Chase's endowment. Oh, I certainly will. I will. <laughs> <laughs> in the pool in the locker room in the barn i've been looking after his endowment <laughs> <laughs> honestly so we get a lot of butts in this movie but we don't mm -hmm. get enough speedo bulges right i mean admittedly when i play water polo those suits are tight because they want to like they're looking to reduce drag so that yeah. you can get through the water faster but typically i mean the speedos that they're wearing are like 
Frankie Avalon like boycott shorts. I'm just like, where's the dick? <laughs> Sorry, we got ahead of ourselves. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. No, because what we have to do now is follow Sarah to the library where mm-hmm. she can read a book that exists called The Rise of the Witch that will tell her everything she needs to know. <laughs> I'm so glad we've got this covenant of keeping silent about all of our history, all of our secrets. Oh, wait, here's a book that says Caleb's family has a historical association with spiders in the goddamn library Library. of the school. (laughs) Yeah, like you need to be telling me that the Sons of Ipswich founded this college and like this is from their secret section where like regular folks aren't supposed to go. I just... I can. This movie is called The Covenant, and nothing about this covenant is effective. Mm-mm, no, it's like a leaky faucet. We are just drip, <laughs> dripping exposition all over the place. Leaky dick. <laughs> if only. <laughs> okay, so let's cut to the main event. You mentioned the Speedos. Let's get to the pool. So we do get to see all of the boys, except for Reed, who is still wearing sweatpants. I'm just like, what? Uh, this actor said, I don't have good legs. I'm not showing them off. Yeah, exactly. It should be noted all of the swimsuits are slightly different cuts. So Taylor Kitsch's is noticeably shorter than Stephen Strait's. And I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's got the quote unquote traditionally best body. Like he's in great shape in this movie. But it was just so weird. I'm like, they would all have the same swimsuit. They're all part of the same swim club. So here's the thing. And look, I am not complaining about this scene. Again, I get it. I love the ass in this scene. That's the only thing I really enjoy about this movie, to be honest. Okay. Not enough to make me, well, fuck, I was going to say buy it, but I do own this movie on Blue. Ah. Motherfucker. <laughs> but here's the thing. Though. So we're talking about how, yeah, they marketed this. Like They made this movie for teenage boys. They marketed it for teenage boys. There's very mm-hmm. little things for girls and gays here, except yep. this scene. Uh-huh. And I'm really confused. I'm not complaining about it, but I'm confused as to why this scene is here when any teenage boys of 2006 would have been like, oh, fags, which they they do in this movie. Which we do say. Yeah. Yeah. So Aaron is here. You were right. He's there. He drops uh, an F slur against Chase. And it's hypothetically character development that Chase A observes his tiny dick and makes a comment about it because you know if you're looking at chase as a bit of a bisexual king villain he's scoping out dicks in the locker room but yeah you know he's he's a protector he's not going to stand for this kind of stuff so he does end up punching out aaron yay i guess yay Also, Trace, just as a sidebar, you mentioned that you own this and you never gave us a production history about how much fucking money this movie made in sale. Oh, my God. OK, I'm sorry. I did fuck that up. So, yes. Yeah. So while this movie did not it didn't. Well, it broke even with production, but not the marketing costs. Um, mm-hmm. The DVD and Blu-ray of this film went on to sell one point six million units, which translated okay. to revenue of twenty six and a half million dollars. Um, so there we go. So I think you had a bunch of closeted gay boys in 2006, mm-hmm. 2007 renting this from Blockbuster under the guise of dude bro movie. But it sure. was actually like hot naked butt guys. <laughs> hot naked butt witch boys. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I fully believe that's that's what the case. Like, I don't think there were a bunch of like straight teenage boys going out and renting this movie. No, no. As you said earlier, this is for the girls and for the gays. Yep. Unintentionally so, though. 
Well, and this is the problem, right? Is do you want to say that this movie is queer baiting? Did it even know that that's what it's doing? Or is it kind of like The Lost Boys where, oops, we made an extremely homoerotic film, which unfortunately doesn't quite satisfy because it doesn't go far enough. Well, and here's the thing too. Like, I wonder because Rennie Harlan is Finnish, if he is a mm-hmm. more, he has a more liberal concept of nudity and sexuality. So sure. to him... This like I think if we had an American director, this scene wouldn't be in this movie. Mm-hmm. Well, and if you want to be a little bit generous and say that some of this movie is about traditional gender roles and toxic masculinity, because mm-hmm. it's all about like boys ascending, becoming their main powers. Like a lot of people have noticed, oh, there's no female witches. Women have no fucking power in this movie. So in some ways, it's very much adhering to a traditional gender norm. Mm hmm. You know, you could say, oh, well, here is where you get some of that toxic masculinity when boys go into the locker room and their sexuality is contested. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Again, generous, because I wouldn't really argue most of that is in the film. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay, speaking of bullshit men, we do learn that Pogue is very jealous of Chase's quote unquote friendship with Kate, because this is the way that Chase sort of inserts himself into the group. He looks like he's hitting on Kate, but of course, what he's secretly doing is scoping out Caleb and seeing if he can work a way in to get to Sarah or use Sarah as a pawn. Yeah, and so Poe gets all pissy, tells Kate to stay away from Chase. And Mm -hmm. I love this scene. It's where Kate and Sarah are just in their dorm room and they're Mm -hmm. kind of talking about it. And then Kate just goes, but Caleb's not the jealous type and just turns over and like goes to sleep. And I was like, were you trying to be mean? Like, were you trying to be a bitch? Or are you like, what? <laughs> like, this is so weird. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely like the dialogue is suggestive of, oh, it must be nice having a boyfriend who isn't jealous and possessive of you and treats you like garbage and acts yeah. weird when you talk to boys. But it just seems very, you know, oh, well, I guess your boyfriend's nice turns and rolls over. <laughs> yeah, like and like they've had a really I mean, I'm saying really good again, maybe being generous, but like mm-hmm. the, we what we have seen between those two girls is they have a really nice friendship. Yeah. And there is like animosity displayed by Kate in this scene, which unfortunately again won't really get resolved because this might be the last time Kate speaks in this movie. Correct. Yep. Okay. Yeah, because she goes into her anaphylactic shock coma for the rest of the film and then we just see her wake up at the end. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah, so we have this comparison, and then Caleb wakes up, once again sees the Darkling. This is the last time we will see it. It doesn't really come to anything except another attempt at a jump scare. Very Ugh. ineffectual. It's very bad. Like Nothing about this movie is scary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're back in the pool, and if you remember our time at the townie bar, we were talking about how apparently Chase and Caleb both swim the same style. So they're both freestyle, (laughs) which, P.S., most people are freestyle, and so that's not that big of a thing. But um, yeah, so they're going head-to-head in the pool. It's very competitive. We're scoping out the competition, by which I mean making homoerotic fuck eyes at each other in the water, and then all of a sudden, Chase's eyes go dark and caleb is so distracted that he swims right into the wall oh and that has to hurt i feel like you can get like a really bad injury that way like hurt your spinal cord even a hundred percent the fact that uh i think it's it's either tyler or pogue who basically makes this comment like oh yeah we had to fish you out of the water you nearly drowned you you drank so much water and it's like your friend could have been really badly injured yeah and you're like christopher reeve level style of like disability 
It's like, check yourself. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, Chase is then called in to go and see Provost Higgins. This is one of the only scenes that we see from his kind of point of view. Uh -huh. So it's significant in that moment because it is still telling us important information. But it also feels like, wait, now we're meant to understand where Chase is coming from in this well, film. So, okay, because this, the reveal in the pool is that he's a witch, but then the reveal <laughs> of this scene is, oh, he killed that kid, like very killed clearly kid. killed that kid. Yeah, and this is the payoff, right? This is the whole point of the Darkling, the dead body in the fells and all this stuff. But it's like, okay, so this is how he got into the school? That's, okay, That, that that's the only reason he killed him, right? To open up a spot? But also... Who fucking cares? Like, he's so powerful. Why couldn't he just magic his way into a spot at the school? Well, Joe, I mean, that would require thought. Well, or it doesn't give us a dead body and it's a horror film and blah, blah, blah. But, like, but we don't have a dead body. We don't see a dead body. <laughs> <laughs> we do. It's the kid in the car. Well, hey, actually, why isn't this kid's death the cult open for the movie? Mm -hmm. Yeah, like you could even kill him and then reveal that it's Chase at this point. Yeah, it's not, you have to reveal that Chase is a killer right from the go. But yeah, again, like, it seems like something that the film might have had in an original draft. And then we just didn't shoot it because it feels no, yeah. so obvious. You have this dead kid get in his car in the driver's seat. He's sitting there. He hears something. Oops, what's <laughs> happening? And then all of a sudden, someone in the backseat gets up and like slits his throat or magics his throat or something. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And then we go in, you know. The Covenant. Yeah, three pages of, of scroll and then new metal. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> it just sounds like we're being really angry. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's what that music is. So no wow. shade to anyone who likes new metal, oh, by no. all means. Nope. We've lost so many <laughs> listeners now. I know. <laughs> Okay, yeah, so uh, this is where we get the phone call that Kate is going into anaphylactic shock from hundreds of spider bites. This, yeah, and you know, the reveal of her body is kind of cool. Mm -hmm. I like the look of like the, 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 the effects of the bites on mm -hmm. Jessica Lucas's body. Um, okay. What really pissed me off is that this doctor, he says... It's as if she's been bitten by hundreds of insects, like spiders. Um, <laughs> doctor, spiders are not insects. They have eight legs. <laughs> he is a man of science, but he is not an insectologist. I also had to look this up because apparently, uh, like, because uh, insects have the two eyes, whereas spiders have, like, the, like the multi-eye eyes. And right, also right. Mm -hmm. insects have antennae and spiders don't. Okay. Important distinctions. Good to know. It's like when we covered Alexander Aja's crawl uh, for Patreon, and we spent a bunch of time being like, what's the difference between an alligator and a crocodile? Yeah. <laughs> and there are very specific differences, just <laughs> like between spiders and insects. But there if he would have just said a bug, that would have right. been fine. Yeah, because we saw the spider, so we know what it was. We don't need him to say, like spiders. Oh, the fact... <laughs> That's the thing, right? If he the, the fact that he has to do the... Like spiders. I was like, what? dude, just <laughs> <No>. stop. <laughs> stop hypothesizing. You're not even getting it right. <laughs> but like no one on this movie set, no script supervisor, no one was like, hey, um, uh, Cardone. Uh, no, it's not quite right. Not quite right. <laughs> no. Okay, so while this is happening, we also see Caleb and Pogue look up Chase's records in 
Is this in the library as well? Because why are we keeping confidential student records in the library? Yes. Okay. It's in the library because the security guard comes in. So it's, I mean, it's clearly in the school unless this Mm -hmm. is like a records room in the school, which. That's what I maybe thought, but it looks identical to the library scene where we saw Sarah looking up the fucking book of the rise of the witches. Yes. Thank you. Anyway, this scene only exists so that we can learn that Chase's adopted parents died in a car accident on his, on his 18th, 18th birthday. birthday. Yes. <laughs> um, but we also get, like, I mean, an attempt at suspense when the security <sighs> guard walks in and they use their magic again mm-hmm. to float on the ceiling. But then when the pages almost fall, they use their magic again mm-hmm. to stop the pages from falling. <laughs> Jesus God. These are the moments like the dress up skirt and everything that Reed does because Reed is a very stupid character. Yeah. It's just like, okay, we get it. They're using their powers for the worst possible reasons. But even stuff like this, I'm just like, was it really easier to lock yourself to the ceiling and then protect papers from falling as opposed to maybe just tossing a book to distract the guard so that you could crawl? (laughs) But it's also something like, again, this isn't suspenseful in the slightest. It's not even really that amusing. And it's kind of a thing where it's like, if there was like, I wish there was a more emphasis on, oh, we ha- we can only use our powers in life or death situations, which would then give mm. a motivation for the film to incorporate actual suspense in its set pieces. But it's addiction, Trace. They just keep using it for all these dumb reasons because so they can't help themselves. Which, whatever. It's whatever. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. If nothing else, obviously we're coming off as very grouchy old men, and I'm sure there's a bunch of people who are saying, it's fun, just fucking go with it, you don't need to be so serious. The problem is, is scenes like this seem to exist exclusively to present, oh my god, look, they're up on the ceiling, like, it's meant to be such a cool visual, but it's just kind of not no the thing I, I i get what you're saying although i would argue that more people will agree with us than not because i'm going to remind you about that four percent rotten tomato score with an average <laughs> score of 2.9 out of 10 which again is fucking low but i'm gonna say if you like this movie that's totally fine obviously like sure. we all have different tastes but mm-hmm. this movie thinks you are stupid and <laughs> wow it, but but this movie is also stupid which makes it doubly offensive <laughs> <laughs> this movie is double dipping <laughs> like, I mean, if you, if you pulled out every scene of exposition in this movie, you might cut out half the runtime. This is true. Yeah. It's not even that complicated, but we feel the need to say it endlessly. The movie complicated. It, it, it is not that complicated, but the movie re-explains itself so many times to the point where mm-hmm. it does get confusing. Right. Yeah. Okay. So based on what we've learned from Chase's records... Pretty sure that that means we know who he is, but we still go to this random ceremonial chamber where we keep the Book of Damnation that we've never seen before, and somehow the book floats up, and that confirms, oh yeah, for sure, Chase, uh, he's the fifth guy. So, okay, but the, 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 it's not that it was from the family, so Goody Pope, Chase's ancestor, oh claimed God. that John- I pa- saw Goody Pope dancing with the devil. Hey, Good- is Goody Pope a character in The Crucible? uh i think it's goody proctor goody proctor thank you very Mm -hmm. much okay so we're just like stealing words from like famous salem witch trials well they mention the proctor family and they basically say that this line is a line of bastard descendants yeah so goody pope was uh basically raped by john putnam but he was an incubus because it was after his death or something Mm -hmm. or he witched his way into her and raped her that way um 
she was widowed and her husband died. Oh, this is the, oh my God. I don't know if you read the uh, the IMDb trivia for this. <laughs> I did not, no. Okay. So yeah, so Caleb says, oh, Jacob Pope died on June 4th, 1962. And Hagen Pope, the, the bastard child from the Incubus, was mm-hmm. born on April 11th, 1693, saying that they are 10 months and 24 days apart. Um, That math doesn't line the up. Math doesn't it's, check out. <laughs> it's 10, day, 10 months and seven days apart. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> See, that to me is a bigger gaffe than insects and spiders. Yes! <laughs> that's basic math. You should be able to do that. But that's what I'm saying. Like, no one... Who was the script supervisor on this movie? Uh, they phoned in sick that month. <laughs> that production, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm sick every day, y'all. Sorry. You know what? Montreal's just too cold in the winter. I can't. I can't make it. I'm sorry. No, I can't do it. <laughs> Okay, so yes. Oh my god, Chase, the fifth member. We thought he was dead. Ah, oh, shocking. And uh, this is when Sarah calls to tell Caleb, oh, hey, Kate is being moved out of this infirmary and into the hospital. And of course, Pogue flips the fuck out because that's his girlfriend. They left on bad terms. So he rushes out and we just see Chase basically smash him like a toy on his motorcycle on the highway. It's kind of fun. Also, I'm sorry, I'm going to call this person out. Portia Belmont, you were the script supervisor for this movie, and you did a bad job. (laughs) Portia, girl. (laughs) Right if you're okay. Her married name is Portia Tickle, though, so that's pretty cool. Ah, that's kind of fun, actually. Yeah, Portia Tickle. (laughs) All right, so Caleb goes to visit Sarah because he's like, I'm also worried about you now that we know who Chase is. But of course, we get this fake out where Chase is either posing as her or just glamouring a vision of her. And secretly, he's got her in a kind of possessed coma. Sure. Man, and she will be in this coma. I mean, she'll get she'll wake up for like a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then she'll go back into that coma. Yeah, but it makes no sense. Like, okay, so Chase says, I'm going to hurt her. I'm going to kill all of your friends and your family if you don't will me your powers when you ascend, when you turn 18 tomorrow. And then we get this you know battle sequence where he throws caleb around demonstrates how much more powerful he is we'll get to the kiss in a moment Mm -hmm. but then when he leaves chase just lets her wake up and i'm like no dude that's your leverage the whole point is that you're saying you don't get the girl back unless you give me what i want so you keep her in the coma until you get the power yeah that was because he kidnaps her again but off screen Mm -hmm. and so it's like what what and Here's the reason I think that there's definitely missing scenes from this movie, because we're also getting dressed up to go to a dance that we then wait at the door of. So we we get to see Sarah dressed up in her fancy clothes and Mm -hmm. Caleb promises her, I'm going to be back. You know, I promise I'm not going to die, whatever. And then she goes to the dance and then stops. And that's when she gets abducted. You're like, (laughs) why is there even a dance? Why do we need any of this? And we don't have the extras to put in this dance. So, but okay, I'm sorry. Going back to this motorcycle crash, though, but like, and you you, you said this at the beginning with this Little Miss Muffet line, but all props to Sebastian Stan for delivering Mm. this line with a straight face. Come to save Little Miss Muffet, have we? Well, you're too late. A spider came and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. (laughs) Terrible. (laughs) 
it's one of those weird things that we sometimes do where we give villains big I've gone mad monologues, but that's traditionally at the end of the film. Traditionally, you would have built up to it. This feels like somebody just flipped a switch and now he's like, oh, you know who I am? Cool. I can be my weird, wild, bisexual self and I'm just going to do nursery rhymes. I guess like... Okay. I mean, okay. spiders are his thing. So he has, but like, he almost comes across like a comic book villain. A hundred percent. Yeah, it's very cartoony. I mean, this is this is the camp. Everything that Sebastian Stan does for the rest of the film is just ludicrously over the top. And here's the thing. I do think that like, everything that comes after this is kind of fun. Like it gets a little bit of a rise out of me. But as I said earlier, it's just too little too late. Sure, sure. But let's talk about the near kiss, Trace. Because oh, yes. Again, this is one of those things where you think, okay, Cardone, we had questions about you when we talked about your other film. Now we have more questions. Because Mm -hmm. even if you want to say this is about the toxic masculinity, this is about putting Caleb in his place, I can throw you around a room, I can pin you down, I can even kiss you if I want to. There's nothing about this that doesn't scream either homoerotic or straight up Brittany Murphy in Drop Dead Gorgeous. Gay. Gay. And this is the scene where I couldn't tell them apart because the camera kept going back and forth between the 180 degree line. Mm, yes. The hot men who are interchangeable and I sometimes also, it's kissing. Sebastian Stan and Steven Strait. <laughs> <laughs> Porn names if we ever heard them. Okay, so yeah, let me bring in Devon's. I'm just going to quote a piece from his uh, horror press article. So he says, referred to simply as the power, the magical abilities of the sexy covenant boys can easily be read as a general queer identity. The film establishes the power has been around for centuries, but sworn to secrecy. Allegedly, that's my interjection. Okay. Hiding queer feelings would make sense for these old money families to maintain their status. Then the film takes it a step further, linking the magical abilities to the character's health, stating that using the powers takes years off their lives and becomes more addictive the more they use it. So not only do we have social implications of being a queer, but now we have the standard AIDS allegory to demonize queers and addicts. And I guess the the reason that I think a queer reading specifically in and around the Sebastian Stan Chase character is Mm -hmm. in this moment, one of the things that he says to Caleb is, you had families, like you knew about this, you were warned by all of your family. Mm. And he says, I didn't have that because he was this bastard son. He had adopted parents who didn't know what he truly was. So... It's really, really easy to read a queer allegory here, right? It's the person who doesn't know about who they are and doesn't have the community to help guide or support them and then mm-hmm. ends up making some really bad life decisions. I think that's a fair – I mean, kudos to Devon for that because I would not have thought about this movie enough to come up with a read like that. Sure. But also, okay, so he got his powers when he was 13. But his parents didn't die until he was 18. Did he hide the magic from them for five years or – Like, was he like, Mom, Dad, look what I can do. Well, I think we're meant to read it as, okay, this is very much a coming of age thing, right? As we see Mm -hmm. in werewolf movies and other things like that. But I can't help but wonder if it's also meant to read as a bit of a villain thing, right? Where it's, you know, oh, I'm going out and I'm killing small animals in the yard and hiding it from my parents. And then when I come of age and I get my full powers, I don't need to listen to them anymore. And I just kill them in a fit of rage. 
Well, and that, yeah, I, that's what I would have expected too. But I actually, I'm a little surprised we don't get a flashback. Right? Yeah, give me a quickie montage of him growing up and like experimenting with the powers and becoming more and more angrier, more and more unhinged or something. Yeah, because as much as this movie wants to spell everything out for you um, and show you <laughs> everything over and over and over again. I'm Yeah, why don't we get this for Stan? I don't know. Because we don't have money. We don't oh, right. care. <laughs> well, because all, all the 18 million of the $20 million budget is going to this fight scene we're going to get soon. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> OK, so Chase releases Sarah. He walks away. And this is where Caleb says, OK, I'm going to come clean. Let's do one more exposition dump. So we take Sarah to go and see his decrepit looking aged father. 44 years old, William Danvers III is, and of course, this dude looks like he's about 100, and Caleb confirms that if you will your powers, you will die. So, okay, question. Why does he, because he's like, okay, I, I'm going to show you something, and then I'll explain everything. And I'm like, mm -hmm. do you need to show your dad? Can't, I mean, I, honestly, I feel like if you said, look, we're witches, my dad's really old, but he's 44 years old, and this is what's happening, mm -hmm. I feel like she'd believe you. I don't feel like you need to show her your dad. You're wasting time at this point. Particularly at this point in the film. I mean, again, this is, to me, explicitly just for the audience. Mm -hmm. It's we're paying off the reveal of what we saw when we went to the colony property and we had Gorman and he was so trigger happy and all this other bullshit. But yeah, I mean, do we need it now? It's just the fun visual payoff that, hey, we put character actor Stephen McCaddy in this virtually unrecognizable prosthetics so that he could eventually mumble, I really hear my honestly better better use of his time don't make this be a reveal we already know what mm -hmm. using magic does to these boys so i think it's yeah. fairly like it's not really much of a surprise when we finally no. see this man because evelyn fucking spelled it out that yeah. was the whole purpose of her earlier her scene, scene exactly her one fucking scene before the, the end of the movie and i'm just like have him like chewing scenery for the like for like sporadically throughout this movie well i mean even I don't understand why we're keeping this dude alive. Personally, if I'm this dude, I'm starting to think about euthanasia because yes! he doesn't have a good quality of life. Like he apparently is just sitting around waiting for his son to deliver his pharmaceuticals. He's he's David Bowie in The Hunger. Yeah. And, and that's not to suggest that I think people who are, you know, infirmed should automatically be thinking about ending no, their no, lives. But, but, it, but he's like 150. <laughs> Yeah, like his quality of life is not great, but also he just doesn't seem to be doing anything. Like, I don't understand why he's keeping this around, except for the narrative convenience of having him alive so he can will his powers to his son. Well, but the thing is, though, using your powers also makes you more of an asshole and it makes you like more <laughs> hubristic. So it's like, no, he he's going to claw onto life till every last waking minute, which is why it's supposed to be a big deal when he wills his power to his son, because that is him <laughs> willingly killing himself. But we don't know anything about this character no. other than the fact that the mom was like, oh, yeah, your father turned into an asshole. <laughs> Which, you know what? Now now that I'm hearing you say it aloud and I'm thinking if we had been introduced to this character properly earlier, like, say, maybe during Evelyn's scene when she's mm -hmm. explaining this, like, have Stephen McCaddy be there in this makeup so we can see the effects and understand what is coming for these boys if they keep recklessly using the power 
we could have had him in more scenes where we could see, oh, he is still narcissistic, like he doesn't have a good quality of life, but he still refuses to help. You know, he's still a fucking entitled asshole. But that's the other thing, too. I mean, look, I get it. You know, you have magic at your disposal, so it's easy to be like, yeah, I'm just gonna fucking use magic whenever I want. Mm -hmm. If you see this man who is supposed to be 44 years old, I'm pretty sure that would scare you away from using magic for the rest of your life. Trace, that's not how scared straight works. Addiction <laughs> doesn't work that way. All this to say, so it's like, oh my god, this is what's waiting for us. So, you know, I can either turn into this or I can will my powers to chase and die tomorrow when I ascend. Yep. Burp, burp. Okay, so seemingly Caleb comes up with some kind of plan. He refuses Tyler and Reed's help, which means they're effectively out of the movie. Out of the movie. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, if you could tell me a single line of dialogue Chase Crawford has in this movie. <laughs> no, no. He's mostly just standing around looking hot, which yeah. kudos which, to him. You got paid, my man. But Mission uh, accomplished. And this is like right before Gossip Girl starts, too, I think. Which I guess it doesn't hurt him then. So that's a good thing. Mm hmm. Yeah, so they're out of the movie. This is where Caleb bids goodbye, but not forever, to Sarah, and she apparently goes off to the prom. I think they're meant to act as some kind of decoy so that Caleb can sneak up on Chase. None of it is really fleshed out. It doesn't fully make sense because we hear the clock hit 11, and we know that Caleb is about to ascend in a couple of minutes, and Chase just slow-mo explodes all of the glass in his car, and this is a fun scene, but again, just <laughs> ostentatious FX for no real purpose. Yeah, I wrote LOL, this stupid windshield effect in my notes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the car accident, quote unquote, has happened near Putnam Farm. Oh, wait, I said we didn't need to know Putnam Farm. My mistake. Oopsie. Oopsie. Of course, we're back at the fucking farm as predicted. And yeah, so somehow Chase is already there with Sarah. She's now levitating in, in some kind of magic coma. Look, and we have talked about how Sarah is not really... Because she, she's just the audience surrogate, kind of, but then we get so much uh, exposition without her that it's just like... It's damsel in distress territory. Exactly, and I hate that. Like, I mean... It, why why mm -hmm. well, it's because she's not the she's not the main character like she's just there <laughs> she's just there for the boys to ogle well purportedly but i i love this idea that we're meant to buy so firmly into caleb and sarah's relationship you know oh no chase has her we're so okay. worried and it's just like yeah the problem is that caleb and chase have way better chemistry that okay, but that was my question too i was like i, I don't exactly know how much time has passed but i can't imagine it's more than a couple of weeks no. And he is, like, ready to die for this girl. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, you've got Sarah? That's really a shame for her. I'm going to turn around and walk away. Goodbye. Oh, man. Okay, so, uh, the, so uh, this fight scene was filmed over the course of nine days. There is wire foo everywhere in oh. it everywhere lots of cgi but okay again sebastian stan with these line deliveries so mm -hmm. he not only says and these are horrible lines like taking candy from a baby sure two seconds later he like hits caleb again and he just goes easy as pie and i was like what are you mm -hmm. 
Like, were we hungry when we were writing the script? Ooh, I got sweets on the mind. I'm thinking about pie. I'm thinking about candy. How can I fit a line about donuts in here? Donut cross me, Caleb. I will come for your girlfriend. Well, the car does do a donut earlier when the cops are chasing them. Um, That is true. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, this, I mean, this fight seems kind of fun. You know, they're flying out. I mean, like, this is where your Matrix comparisons are going to come in here because it just, like, that's clearly the influence. But... It just all looks like hot garbage because it's nighttime. It's rainy so that we can cover up for some of the deficiencies in the CGI. The wire foo actually isn't terrible, Mm -hmm. but it is so aggressively wire foo. And then the blobs are just generic leak blobs. I was so confused. Well, the fact that they're not even like colored, they're not like, oh, like one's fire, one's like blue for ice or mm-hmm. like, just something to give to give these CGI magic blobs some kind of personality. But well, and they're not distinct. So we don't even know who's throwing what at them. They kind of just look like giant water globules. Yeah. It's, but, but again, as I've already said, the boys look the same anyway. So I can't tell who I'm supposed to be rooting for in any given shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've got like hot white boy facial blindness and they're just throwing cgi stuff at each other and it goes on for a while it's this forever it's from the barn and then we spill out into the light and then you know oh caleb finally ascends which oh we we should know tyler and reed do come back for that one scene where they go happy birthday caleb (laughs) oh my god and then he gets struck by lightning so it's basically highlander okay it's so stupid but then okay this is when we start cross-cutting with evelyn going to her husband Mm -hmm. like you have to give him your power it's like stop being a selfish fucking asshole save your son do one good thing for your godforsaken life she sobered up for this and i can't believe we don't have more scenes of her just being a drunk mess yeah you know what i'm willing to bet that they are in there and we're just not seeing them well they are not on this blu-ray no no um so it all seems very very dire for caleb it seems like he's going to lose but of course yes he's hit by lightning his dad wills him the power he catches a gleep glop globule water thing (laughs) and then he just throws it back at chase and we just see sebastian stan do like um end of marvel flip through the air and he goes into the barn the barn explodes and he's gone yeah but if you think he's dead (laughs) so that's basically the end of the movie caleb rescues sarah she's fine now we also see that kate and pogue have woken up in the hospital and then as firemen are cleaning up the scene we see caleb use his power to just fix the windshield in his convertible so he and sarah can drive away and you're like cool he's learned absolutely fucking nothing but that's the whole thing though it's supposed to be like mm-hmm. the more you use it the more your brain becomes like intoxicated so again that's the whole addiction factor but like yeah and you know she gives him this look uh, sarah, sarah gives him a look that's like ooh, that i don't think you're supposed to do that exactly but then the movie's just over <laughs> yeah well the movie is mostly over we fade to a sepia tone and we learn that this has been chapter 16 or 17 in the book of damnation suggesting that there were many stories before it and many stories after do not threaten me like that how dare you god i god help me Mm-hmm. This well, movie okay. made shit. no money, so we we never got anything else. Except uh, you said that there were some graphic novels or something, right? 
Oh, so this is the thing, though. Apparently, people think this is based on a graphic novel. And despite that misconception, it's not. The confusion comes from the fact that Sony had a comic book of the same name created for the purposes of promoting the movie. And so just prior to the release, Top Cow Comics printed a four-part comic book miniseries by Aaron Collette and Tone Rodriguez entitled The Covenant. Neither the authors or the comic book miniseries nor Top Cow Comics is mentioned in the movie's credit sequences, so the comic book miniseries is not regarded as source material by the makers of this movie. Okay, and I did not personally seek this out, but I would be curious to know if it does address any of the things that we noted, like the gaps in either the mythology or the film itself. Oh my god, I... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I really I really want to know if anyone read the Covenant graphic novel. <laughs> right. Here's the thing though, as we said off the top, I don't hate the storyline of this. You know, I think it's very badly executed mm-hmm. and it's frequently ridiculous and silly, as I've said numerous times. Yeah. But I could see a reimagining or a revamp of this or some kind of continuation. As long as it was done reasonably well, like, as long as it doesn't suck like this movie, then I would revisit this. Yeah, I mean, like, there's a good idea here. There's several good ideas here that are all at war with each other, but we've offered several fixes that, in my opinion, would improve the movie. But yeah, with Cardone's horrible screenwriting skills, and <laughs> I, I'm going to say a a distracted Rennie Harlan in the director's right. chair... It just wasn't in the cards for this. And when you hear about how they were like, oh, yeah, we were trying to make a Lost Boys for the new generation. And I was like, ooh. Mm. Like, I I like I, – y'all can go back and listen to us on the Lost Boys. I'm not that movie's biggest fan, but I like it and I appreciate what it's doing. And it's a coherent film. Right. This is not. <laughs> no. And, and that movie at least has an interest in its characters. I would argue that this movie is only interested in Caleb and a little bit about Chase as an antagonist, but really, he's just there to be a villain. Everybody else is just hot wallpaper. Well, and that's the thing, too. Like, you know, talking about damsel in distress, that was a big complaint we had about Lost Boys. Jamie Gertz's mm-hmm. star is wasted in that movie. And right. go back and listen to our conversation on The Forsaken, because that movie doesn't know what to do with its female lead, except show no. her titties a bunch. Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, here's the thing. I would still rather watch The Covenant than The Forsaken. Um, yes, because I think there is a stupidity here that does make it, you you can find entertainment value in this, whereas I do think that Forsaken is just like a slog of a movie. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. But, uh, Trace, maybe before we end this, I've got my own little game for you. Okay. So, we're gonna do this this week, we're gonna do this next week, because in some ways I feel like we can have similar conversations about, I guess, the enjoyment factor, but also just... What are we doing casting hot people who look like they are from the CW and really trying to make the movie stars unsuccessfully? But um, I would like you to tell me who is the youngest member of this cast and who is the oldest member of this cast. Okay, I'm guessing the oldest is Taylor Kitsch and I'm guessing the youngest is the guy that plays Reed, Toby Hemingway. Okay, you are 50% correct. So Taylor Kitsch is the oldest. He would have been 24 or 25 when this movie was made. Okay. And Toby Hemingway is actually the second oldest. So he was only a year younger. Sebastian Stan 
and Laura Ramsey were both 23 or 24 as well. The youngest is actually Stephen Strait. He was either 19 or 20 when the film was made. Oh, that's So he's actually almost accurate in terms of casting for age. You know what? Good job, casting department. But yeah, Taylor, Taylor Swift. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Taylor Kitsch does look the oldest out of all of them. <laughs> Truly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why he's got that hot vibe. Yeah, absolutely. It's a proper band. Well, I think because I think Friday Night Lights may have been on at this time. Uh, maybe, or it would have just been about to debut. Oh, yeah, the movie was 2004. Oh, yeah, the show started the exact same year this came out. So it actually, uh, oh, that's actually his moment. Friday Night Lights premiered less than a month after this movie came out. Oh, man. I bet you Taylor Kitsch was like, please watch my TV show. <laughs> Do not watch my movie. Which, if, if I remember correctly, that show was constantly on the bubble, right? It was, yeah, because everybody just thought it was a continuation of the film or that you had to like football to watch it. And, yeah. uh, ooh, I'm going to climb back up on that recommendation box and say that show is fucking great. And you don't have to give any kind of fucks about football to enjoy it. I have heard that. And also, I'm looking at this cast list. I didn't realize that one uh -huh. of the stars of that show is also in our movie for next week. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yes. We've got a stacked lineup coming up. Uh, okay, everyone. Well, that is the covenant um joe any final thoughts on this before we shut the book on it uh you know what we have covered this twice now once in written form once in podcast form this is my second time covering it on a podcast as i said i don't mind rewatching this every once in a while but i'm also happy to close the book of damnation on this one so yeah <laughs> Covenant, it's been fun. I'll see you in a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always game to check out a new Rennie Harlan film, but um, this, I, I don't know what happened here. I mean, again, we have speculated and speculated. Uh, I think we're probably correct in our speculations, but mm -hmm. I just think this is so fucking boring. Like, there is some stupid entertainment to be had here, mostly thanks to Sebastian Stan, but... Yep. It just takes itself so seriously. That I don't I don't really have a lot of fun with this movie. And I feel like if you do have fun with this, more power to you. I think that's great. I just I don't have that. No, honestly, flip the script and just make the central character of this movie bisexual king, Sebastian Stan Chase. And, and yeah, make it more gay. I mean, I, I, I get mm. that we're not doing that in 2006. Absolutely. No. But, you know, whatever. But nowadays, right? I mean, that's, again, another argument in favor of potentially remaking this or relaunching this is saying oh, we could actually make this as it's a bunch of secretly gay boy witches and then the interloper who comes in. Exactly. But, yeah. um, okay, well, before we announce what we're covering next week after all these teases, um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at HorrorQueers. Shoot us an email at HorrorQueers at gmail.com. Find us on Letterboxd to keep track of all the films we've covered. Go to our YouTube channel to check out our interviews with various horror filmmakers and tune in once a month to hear about our most anticipated horror films for that month. If you want to chat with other listeners, please join our Facebook Horror Queers group. If you want to show us some love, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you want even more content, support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash horrorqueers. If you subscribe today, you will get 283 hours of Patreon content, including this month's new episodes on Hannibal Season 1, Episode 1, Mimic, Founder's Day, Night Swim, and our audio commentary on Jennifer Kent's The Babadook for its 10th anniversary. Mm hmm But, Joe, um, we've teased a shitty movie starring someone from Friday Night Lights next week. So what, <laughs> pray tell, are we covering? 
Oh boy, yeah. So we're not quite in the same ballpark in terms of the year of release, but it feels like these could all be coming out at the same time, same kind of cultural conversation. But uh, we're going to flip the genders, Trace. We're going to look at baby single white female <laughs> in 2011's The Roommate. The Roommate. Um, This will be a first time watch for me. And... Ooh. I don't have high hopes, but I do love me Leighton Meester, so I am ah. at least intrigued by that, but whatever that performance is going to be. Uh, yeah, I can tell you that you're probably going to have a number of similar complaints, and you're just going to wish that the film pushed a little bit harder. That, I mean, page 13 single white female, like, of course. Yeah, yeah. But you know what? We'll have plenty <laughs> to say about this cast, because... It's like a who's who. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but until next week, everyone, we can cross out the covenant. Indeed. And cross out horror queers. 